Ramble. I don't really like doing chores around the house, I'm going to be honest with you, and I especially used to hate doing laundry. It was just one of my more tedious tasks. It takes so much time, and I often feel tempted to not even bother sorting out my clothes. But I've been trying to motivate myself to get a lot more organized, and I finally found a way to make doing my chores so much more interesting, so much more engaging, and that's by listening to audiobooks on Audible. You guys know me, there is nothing like playing a good psychological thriller. So obviously, that's what I've been listening to. I'm currently listening to The Housemaid by Frida McFadden. The main character, Millie, is out on parole and she's desperate for her job. She doesn't have any money. She's living out of her car and she gets this opportunity to be this rich family's housemaid. Millie agrees even though there's just something really strange about the Winchesters. Especially the wife, Nina. She just seems to love finding ways to make Millie's life very difficult. The family is hiding something and Millie is hiding something and there's just so much tension between Millie and the husband. It's one of those stories that you can't stop listening to and I can't wait to finish it and start the next audiobook in this series. But if Thriller is not your thing, don't worry. Audible lets you pick from thousands of titles to find the perfect soundtrack to your day. You can find audiobooks from any genre, fiction, nonfiction, wellness, self-help. But they also have podcasts like this one, guided wellness programs, comedy, and originals. Living life without using Audible is like eating food with no seasoning. Sure, you still get your nutrients in, but it's missing that extra flavor, you know? So if you want to spice up your day, I highly recommend Audible. Audible members can keep one title a month to keep from the entire catalog. New members can try audible now free for 30 days visit audible.com slash rotten or text rotten to 500 500 that's audible.com slash rotten or text rotten to 500 500 to try audible free for 30 days Bada bing, bada boom. welcome to this week's main episode of rotten mango i'm your host stephanie sue and it had been months you know the police hadn't done enough tom was out there Every single day, shouting his mom's name. He was handing out posters to people asking, have you seen this woman? Have you seen her? He was frantic. He would always get the same looks. He's kind of used to it now. The looks of alarm. Some people would look at him like he was losing his mind. Like he was becoming unhinged. Maybe he's too unpredictable for them. He was drenched in sweat in the summer sun, just pushing a picture of a random woman into people's faces. Some people looked at him like they were scared of him. Others just looked at him with pity. Just total and utter pity. It's hard to say which one was worse. You could say that Tom was pretty desperate at this point. You know, that's the only reason that he ended up here, sitting at a Starbucks, waiting for this mysterious woman to arrive. She had plucked his number off one of the missing person's posters that he had stapled to practically every single pole, every single surface in this town. She called, saying that she had information. The woman walked in. And you could tell she was confident. You know, just the way that she walked, just the way that she carried herself. She was tall, unbothered, and on a mission of sorts. She sat down in front of Tom, and she told him, I know where your mom is. I haven't called the police yet. If you want to know more, you have to pay me. What? What kind of sick game is that? Tom just wanted to yell, just tell me, where is my mom? But he didn't. And at the end, later, the woman handed Tom a card with the number on there. I'll be honest with you, Tom. We're part of the triad. The organized crime syndicate in China, we run the Vancouver division. Listen, we know what happened. And unlike the police, we don't judge anyone. So just give us a call. Let us help you. And with that, the woman rushed off and Tom was left holding a suspicious card with a number on there. Calling that number would change Tom's entire life. Should he do it? 
As always, full show notes are available at rottenmanglepodcast.com. A lot of today's sources are in Chinese since this is a Chinese case. I had a ton of articles professionally translated, but as always with any international case, or even if it's not, if there's anything that I left out or got lost in translation, please let me know. Also, I just really want to know more about this case. So if you have more information, feel free to let me know on that too, because it's just such a puzzling case where... I don't know. It just makes you think. It's one of those cases where at the end you're going to be, there's going to be a lot of thoughts and a lot of what is life? Like, how are we supposed to live? But first, let's get into the attempted murder trial. It was kind of a bizarre atmosphere. There's no better way to describe the energy. It's cold in the courtroom. The jurors had just filed in with their cups of coffee that they just downed in the back. And now they're sitting in the courtroom trying to be respectful, right? Trying to do their jobs that they're called upon to do. They're trying not to make too much strong of eye contact with the defendant. It's a little awkward. They watched as the prosecutors and the defense attorneys are shuffling through their notes, passing notes to one another, objecting the other side. Objection! It was similar to the movies, they have to admit. It was just longer, much longer, and much more tiresome. The jurors were tasked with a very important responsibility. To see if the defendant was guilty of attempted murder. So far, it wasn't looking so good for them. There was already audio of them asking someone to kill for them. The jurors were pretty clear on what the verdict would be. The confusion only started when the victim, the person the defendant tried to have killed, walked into the courtroom. And before court was in session, the victim walked straight up to the defendant, the person who is on trial for trying to kill this person, and asked, are you cold? Did you eat yet? You did? Okay. And gives him a thumbs up. I'm sorry, what? The prosecutors, they're trying to fight for justice for the victim, but they, they're they still friendly with the, the defendant? The attempted murderer? They just tried to kill you. The jurors' heads, I mean, they're spinning. Like, what the hell is going on? They have never heard of a case like this. But it doesn't really even start with the attempted murder case. It starts with a different case, a missing persons case. This is a doozy. So in the early hours of July 8th, 2012, the Vancouver police started working on a missing persons report. This one was a little bit peculiar. At first glance, it looked like every other missing persons case. It looked like it was going to be frustrating, heartbreaking, emotionally draining for every party involved. But as it developed, weird things started happening. Here's how it unfolded. A man named Yan Shi Tang. Yuan Shi Tang. Oh, Tang Yuan Shi. We're going to call him Tom. Tom, yeah. yes. So Tom was in his early 20s, and he had called the police about how his own mother was missing. He sounded concerned, but more astonished. I mean, nobody blames him. It was a weird, puzzling experience. He was shocked that she was gone. Well, Tom, tell us what happened. I, I mean, it was, it was weird. My parents are visiting from China. I'm in Vancouver, of course. And because I don't have enough space, they were staying at this local hotel. It, it's kind of more like a bed and breakfast, like one of those motels. And regardless, they're staying there. I went to go pick them up to drop them off at the airport to catch their flight back to China. And I went into their hotel room. Both of my parents are there. My dad is asleep and I was like, okay, let me start moving the bags into the car first and then I'll come back, wake up dad and fetch them to go get some breakfast. So I'm holding all of this heavy luggage, struggling a bit. And as I leave the hotel room, my mom is watching me walk down from the door of the room. Like, you know, those motels you can see into the parking lot. Mm -hmm. 
Now, here's the part that I'm just so genuinely puzzled by. When I get back, she's gone. I mean, just poof, gone. Just like that. We looked everywhere. We looked at the motel. We looked at the parking lot. She was gone. I, I don't know what happened, but I need help, officers. We have spent hours looking for her. We have spent the whole day, really, but we still cannot find her anywhere. See, not a normal missing persons case. It was indeed puzzling. So the officers, they were confused. I mean, it's just so, it's so random. <laughs> How does nobody know where the mom went? She's probably not missing then, right? Maybe she went off to run an errand or two. They asked Tom. I mean, considering how strange the circumstances are, do you think you have an inkling of where your mom might have gone? Well, at first, my father and I thought that she wandered off to go buy some snacks that they could eat on the plane. You know, it's a long ride. So, of course, we searched the local malls, the convenience stores, the grocery stores. I mean, we've already been. But even if she went to go get snacks, she would have been back by now. Well, maybe she was running late and she went to the airport to meet you guys there, but didn't have a phone, so she couldn't contact you. The police suggest that Tom and his dad check out the airport, see if she's there. They do. And they even have the intercom system run over and over again. Um, Lian Ji Guao. Guo Lian Jie. We're going to call her Lian. Lian, please come to the nearest gate to get some help. Lian, please come to the nearest gate to get some help. But nothing. Tom and his dad are anxiously pacing at the gate. The flight is about to board soon. And Tom's thinking, okay, well, what do we do? What do we do? Time is of the essence. We got to make some decisions right now. Dad, there's no point in you staying here any longer too. It's not like you can even help much. You don't speak the language. You need to go back home. You've got work to take care of, other things. Why don't you board the flight, go home, and I'm going to keep looking for mom here. I mean, I know she's going to turn up. Like, she didn't go anywhere. Come on, it must be some sort of misunderstanding. Tom's dad hesitantly boards this plane. I mean, he trusts his son, but he almost feels guilty leaving because his wife is nowhere to be found. But maybe Tom was right. He could go back home and talk to the Chinese consulate in Vancouver from China. It'll be easier then. Yeah, that's what he'll do. Meanwhile, Tom is working heavily with the Canadian police, but it's not effective. He's increasingly getting frustrated. Like, what do you, what do you think is going on? She's missing. The police kind of give him an inkling that they think that she's trying to stay here illegally. Mm. We think that she came here on a tourist visa. We've seen this a lot. She probably wants to stay, so she's not going back to China, and she's trying to become an illegal immigrant. And you know what, Tom? There is a part of me that thinks you're a part of it, but we can't say that to his face, you know? The whole story doesn't make sense. How does somebody go missing like that in that short time frame? and you guys are all here? You guys were all there. Yeah, that's what the police were saying. If someone trying to stay, why would he call the police? Exactly. The police don't even think about that until two weeks later. Huh. So two weeks pass and there's still no sight of Tom's mom anywhere. She was nowhere to be found. Tom's dad is like, I got to go back. I got to go back to Vancouver. I feel trapped. I feel completely useless on the other side of the world, just waiting for the phone to ring. And hopefully I hear my wife's voice like I have to do something. So when Tom's dad comes back, the two of them, they go to the police station over and over and over again. Like, you need to help us. Hello? How is, how is Leanne still missing? And now the police are thinking, oh, maybe we should take this a little seriously. That is weird. Because you know what? Now that you pointed out, if Leanne was trying to stay here illegally, why would anybody alert the authorities? That's just, that's the last thing an illegal immigrant would want to do is get involved in any shape or way with the authorities. Also, she left her passport. 
and all of her clothes are with her family and their luggage. She had no money, no cash on her. And I mean, what and how could a Chinese woman who spoke no English, she wasn't fluent at all. She couldn't even read street signs. How could she stay hidden for that long? And there's no way that Tom is hiding her because he's coming to the police station like every day, like help me find my mother. Okay, now. Now the police start treating it like a regular missing persons case, which I don't know, two weeks too late, buddies. But they start asking the questions. Did Leanne have any enemies? No. Any debt? No. Was she mentally ill at the time? No. Does she have any history of mental illness? No. All of the answers were just no, 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 and no. I mean, the police were stumped. All they could do was pass the case on to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, which is the RCMP. It's, it's kind of like the FBI. So the RCMP, they take over the case. They start looking for Leanne. And the first thing that they noticed was her son. But not in a bad way, in a good way. Let's talk about Chinese culture real quick. In most cultures, family is everything. I mean, you hear that all around the world. What's the most important thing to you? Family. And Eastern Asians take it to a pretty extreme level. And I I don't mean extreme as in, oh, Eastern Asians love their parents more than anybody else does. The love is stronger over there. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I think Eastern Asian views on family can be quite toxic. For China, it started a long time ago. So the idea is filial piety. It's been around for centuries But it was more solidified in a book about the alleged conversation between Confucius and his student. Confucius, he's teaching his pupil about how filial piety is the best way to set up a society. To have a society that focuses on producing good, that is efficient, that is productive and not focused on crime, you need to have people that are family oriented. That's the secret sauce to the ideal community, the ideal society. Why? Because that type of respect towards your family, it's not just being good to your parents. It's not just being nice to them and loving them. It's about taking care of them and also making sure that they look good to the outside world, not bringing shame to the Mm -hmm. family. So would you go commit a crime if that's one of your deepest core values is to not bring shame to the family? You probably wouldn't. Because you're terrified. It's the idea that every single person not only represents themselves as individuals, but as their whole family. Yeah, it's like carry on the last name. You can bring shame to the family. (laughs) Everything's like hush, hush. Don't spread the family shame. That's so fascinating. This Mm. is definitely more traditional, like a couple generations ago. Even my grandpa, I think he's getting a little more open-minded. I'm telling him, look, if we don't want kids... We don't want kids because back in the days, if you don't deliver a kid, that's like the biggest shame to the family. You're basically ending your whole legacy. But nowadays, you know, they start to get it. It's our life as long as we're good. That's so fascinating. Koreans are like that a bit. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. You always have to show love and respect and support and be courteous and ensure that you produce male heirs for your family was a big (laughs) thing that Confucius was all about. It was considered a high virtue in Chinese culture and it's, it's everywhere. I mean, one of the most famous collections of historical stories is called the 24 cases of filial piety like why would i read that book that sounds so boring (laughs) what book it's called the 24 cases of filial piety or something i i'm assuming it's about kids that will die for their family Mm, okay i think we're being brainwashed by parents (laughs) it's literally what it sounds like yeah and um 
A historian named Hugh Baker said, "Respect for the family is the one element common amongst all Chinese people, regardless of their religion, their political leaning, and their geographical upbringing. It is just something that is so consistent." Yeah. So, with that being said, the RCMP was getting a firsthand view of all of that, all of that culture, right in front of their eyes. The summers in Vancouver—they're not normally too hot. But that summer in 2012, it felt like the sun was being ruthless. The sun was on its own secret mission to turn every walking human into a strip of bacon, like it just had some sort of vengeance towards Canada. A lot of people were not used to it. They weren't used to this level of heat, and they opted to stay inside whenever they could. They're like, "Let's stay in the AC." But if you lived in the area, you would be shocked because you would see this Chinese man walking through the streets, sweating through his shirt, carrying stacks of missing persons posters. I mean, it's a humbling experience. Here we are complaining about the heat. When this man will weather any storm, any heat wave to try and find his missing mom. I hope one day that I'm a good enough parent that my child will look for me with that amount of conviction. He walked and he walked and he asked anybody who even glanced at him. I'm so sorry. Excuse me. Have you seen this woman? She's my mother. She's been missing for two weeks. Here, please, can you please just take this poster? And the police watched him, and they were impressed. At a press conference, Tom was asked if he wanted to share a few words. He said, "Absolutely." His voice was, you know, as steady as it could be in a situation like this. He said, "I have faith in the police to handle the case, and to this day, I am still waiting for my mother to come back. So, if anybody finds her, please call the police immediately. My father is heartbroken. He he's cherished my mother and misses her so much. Please." The police couldn't help but be moved by his words. I mean, they are doing the best they could, right? <laughs> Right? Should they try a little harder? Maybe we could try as hard as Tom. Maybe we can try a little bit harder. So they start reevaluating the missing persons case. They start going back through all of the details, the initial reports, the nine one one call, and you know, you know that feeling when you're with a group of people, and every single one of you is thinking the same thing. Be like, oh, okay, I can't be the first to say it because it it's not it's not the nicest thing that we're thinking. What if there's a chance that nobody else is thinking the same thing I'm thinking, and now I'm just the evil person that voiced my thoughts? <laughs> yeah, that's what the officers were feeling, because no matter how much they twisted it, no matter which report they read, no matter how many times they watched Tom scour the streets for his mom, the missing persons report always led back to Tom. I imagine them in a room. Okay, let's be hypothetical for a second. Sure, I know it's our job to check on everyone, but it's it's always traumatizing to family members when something tragic happens to their loved ones. But now, say that one of them is suspected of foul play. I mean, let's just make sure before we go around pointing fingers at family members, right? We just—they're grieving. So, hypothetically speaking, let's say Tom did something to his mom, and that's why she's gone. What kind of evidence do we have to back this up? Well, he was the last person to see his mom, and he was the one that called the police. Both of those signs could be that he did something. Okay, what else? We need more. Oh, well, there's a few separate reports where Tom details what happened, and they're all kind of different. Sometimes they contradict each other. He told one officer that he found his mom missing when he went to go pick them up for the airport. Later, he told another officer that he went to go eat breakfast with his family before they boarded their flight, and she went missing during breakfast. Hmm. Well, wait, there's more. Here it says that he said his mom was alone in the hotel room when he went to pick them up, and then she vanished. 
But then when you look at this report, it says that his dad was sleeping in the hotel room and his mom vanished. So was the mom alone or was the dad there? Was the dad there, but he was sleeping? Huh. Okay. It's not looking good for Tom. Another thing to point out was it said that on record, Tom has been in Canada for six years. But anytime we ask him a question, it's like he's answering it like he doesn't understand. It could be the most simple question. And he says he doesn't understand, which The police do reference this as evidence, and I'm not sure how I feel about it, because if you come from immigrant families, you know the struggle of learning a new language. My mom has been in the U.S. for 30 years. She is still not capable of going to the police station and like having a whole interrogation done. I think a lot of the time immigrants hang out with other immigrants that speak Mm -hmm. their native language, so it just makes it harder for them to learn. But the police felt like he was downplaying his English skills. It didn't feel... Like he didn't understand the question. It felt like he wanted to avoid the question, which again, maybe it's true. We don't really know how fluent Tom is. But then there's other pieces of evidence that are really, really bad. Remember the hotel the parents were staying at? The Airbnb? Yes. Well, it's like a motel. Well, the room right next door to the parents was booked for the same number of days. And the hotel room was under Tom. Tom. You didn't mention to us that you booked the room right next door. Why didn't you mention that? That you also had a room there. Oh, well, you didn't ask, so I didn't mention it because it wasn't important. My apartment is a bit far from the parents' hotel where they were staying, and, you know, they were here for a while, so I just rented a room next to them to be closer. Which, side note, the police knew that Tom's apartment was not that far, but they weren't going to argue about this right now. They had more important things to ask. Okay, Tom. That's all fine and dandy, but maybe you have an explanation for this. We were able to search the hotel room that you had booked right next to your parents. Do you have a reasoning for all the bloodstains everywhere? We found bloodstains on the ceilings, the walls, the bedside table, closets, and a long dried blood patch underneath the mattress. I mean, it's evident that you tried to clean up blood, but not very well, it seems. Oh my we're just waiting on China to help us verify that the DNA is a match to your mother. But you know, and we know, that it's probably going to be a match. One guaranteed way to make me cry is just remind me of the lifespan of dogs compared to most humans. Listen, my dogs, Mango, I know, Rotten Mango, and Tiger have been with me since before I started YouTube, before this podcast, and I truly don't know where I would be without them. But like, all I can do right now is spend time with them, take care of them so that they live the happiest and healthiest life that I can give them. Farmer's Dog is such a huge part of that. Farmer's Dog makes it easy to keep your dogs healthy, which can give you more quality years with them. So Farmer's Dog, they make and deliver fresh, healthy dog food, and it's recommended by vets. My vet literally recommended me Farmer's Dog. It's nutritionally balanced and made from human-grade ingredients in safe, clean kitchens. Tiffany has been bringing Cola, her French bulldog, over, and she keeps some of his food at her house. She said that she's been having such a hard time trying to get him to eat, so I offered her some of Mango's food to give to him. She was amazed. She said that she's never seen Cola so pumped for food. Farmer's Dog is the best option for dogs at all life stages because it's it's not kibble, it's not canned goop, it's real food. With traditional dry or even wet food options, they're extremely processed. I mean, I can hardly understand the ingredients that go into it, and it's really hard to portion. It's difficult to understand if my dogs are getting the nutrients that they need. Farmer's Dog comes pre-portioned, and it's based on my dog's unique nutritional needs. So Mango and Tiger, they eat different meals, and it's so cool. Farmer's Dog is like human-grade food made 
laden safe kitchens. My dogs have been on Farmer's Dog for years now, ever since Mango was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. And I just noticed so many changes. They've got a healthier coat, healthier skin, their breath is better. And right now you can get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash mango. Let the Farmer's Dog know that we sent you. So use our code or click podcast after you sign up for your first box. That's 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash mango. When I was in high school, I had this ritual every day after coming home from school. I would grab a salty snack, sit down, watch my favorite mystery drama on TV. And recently I discovered the adult version of that, which at the end of the workday, I grab salt and vinegar chips, snuggle up on the couch, and I play June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden objects mystery game that makes me feel like I'm living inside of a mystery TV show that is very immersive. You play as Detective June Parker, and you just found out that your sister and husband were murdered. This is a fictional story. So you fly from London to New York to investigate, but the clues are just not adding up. So you get to go through these series of scenes from the mansion living room to a lavish garden to a 1920s style New York cafe. In each room, you have to find hidden objects that help you solve the mystery of your sister's death. And in the meantime, a whole lot of unexpected just scandalous twists are going to happen. There's family secrets, danger, there's romance. I love traveling all over the world with June. Currently, I'm exploring Paris in the 1920s. Because the game is set in the 1920s, it just has the most aesthetic game design ever, and it's so cozy. Whenever I need a break from the suspense, I can pause the story and head over to my private island. Yeah, they give you a private island and you get to customize it however you want for you. I love cottage core mixed with that old money vibe with a huge mansion and a luxurious garden and even like this train rail. June's journey is the best way to unwind at the end of a long day or just to take a break in the middle of the day when I feel overwhelmed. I can escape all of my problems and turn into Detective June. Discover your inner detective when you download June's journey for free today on iOS and Android. If you ask Tom, he would say he never wanted to kill his mom. That wasn't really part of his schedule. In fact, he would say that he loved her. He loved her like any child loves their parents. But she was, she was suffocating. So maybe he saw it fit that she too be suffocated. Tom's parents were, for context, were like any other traditional strict Asian parents. They would do anything for Tom. But I don't mean it in the sense that they would do anything for Tom and he was this spoiled little kid. I meant that they would really only do things that were good for Tom. And sometimes that meant making Tom's life miserable so that his future could be bright. It was all for Tom at the end of the day. Leanne was pretty adamant that Tom would be even more successful than herself and her husband, which by the way, they were pretty successful. They owned a timber business in China, a furniture business. They were considered one of the wealthier residents in their small town. I mean, they worked hard. But what do they say? It's all for Tom at the end of the day. Listen, I'm not even going to lie to you. The way that Leanne parented Tom, it's intense. I don't know if I could survive one day in these conditions without bursting into tears. It was a lot. For example, if Tom ever failed an exam, Leanne would not let him eat. He could not go to bed. All he could do was sit there and study until he proved that he could get a better score on the next exam. Anytime his grades slipped, even a tiny little bit, Leanne would take away any semblance of fun, rip it from his hands, and he wouldn't get any of it back until his grades were up again. But it wasn't just his grades. When he came home, it's not like he just had to be good at school and, you know, study. Everything had to be done the way that she liked it. If he came home 
with hundreds on everything, perfect scores on all of his subjects, she would still be upset with him if he didn't line up his textbooks on his desk exactly the way that she liked it. Which, side note, China is really extreme when it comes to grades. Parents have a tendency to be a lot more strict than their Western counterparts. But even in China, this was considered a lot. Tom said that he was always made fun of by his friends. They said that he was a toddler. Even in high school. They joked that he probably couldn't even have an original thought that his mom didn't approve of first. Have you guys heard of the term tiger parents? Mm-hmm. That's kind of Tom's parents. Tiger parents, if you've never heard of it, it, it's kind of like helicopter parents. That's just the reference. It was coined and first used to describe Chinese-American parents. And it's still to this day heavily associated with East Asian, South Asian, and Southeast Asian parenting styles. Tiger parents, they prioritize schoolwork and education above all else. I mean all else. School takes priority over mental health, physical health, developing social skills, happiness, everything. You're depressed? Fucking go to school. You're sick today? Don't care. Go to school. You have no friends? Who needs them? Go to school. You're unhappy? You'll be happy in college. Go to school. It was the only importance in every child's life. So for a while, when all colleges cared about were grades, tiger parents would not even allow their kids to take part in other school activities because it's a waste of time. Colleges want the best grades. So spend that extra time studying. Beat your peers. But then colleges started wanting more well-rounded students. So yeah, I was on that boat too. I took so many musical instrument tutoring classes, like private lesson classes, piano. I hated it. And what's crazy is my mom is not even a tiger mom, but she still fell into the trap, I tell you. Playing classical instruments became a huge flex and a passion for tiger parents. You want to play the guitar? I don't think so. Pick up the cello. I just don't get that. Like, yeah. I, I don't understand this one bit. What's so cool about your kids knowing an instrument? Yeah, my mom still to this day says, oh, I wish you knew how to play the piano. And I said, why? <laughs> why? So it could be a party trick that nobody cares about because anytime I go to a party, unless you're fucking Mozart and you're playing the piano, I think you're weird. Like They always play the three cents. The fur Elise, yes. <laughs> same songs. and Yes. To be fair, if you do see me next to a piano, I will feel morally obligated to play the chopstick song. You know, with the two fingers. The dun, 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 dun. Okay. Anyway, they want their kids to be first chair with the violin. I mean, everything centers around academic achievement and classical instruments and debate team. If you told a tiger parent, hey, I'm going to make double the money. I'm going to be happier in this field that doesn't even require a degree. Maybe I'm going to be like a door to door salesman. Yeah. They make way more than that lawyer, or at least this company does. It's more money. It's my passion. I'm going to have so much more fun. I'm going to be happier. They're going to be like, no, get a degree, make less money, be a doctor, be a lawyer. It's about the prestige. Yes, the prestige, the respect, the community member that everybody looks up to. It's, I'm sighing because we have trauma. Trauma. <laughs> a lot of people believe that this is especially strong in Asia because academic competition is typically much more cutthroat over there. But also, in immigrant parents, they're typically tiger parents. They seem to easily just ad adopt this attitude and this belief of, look at how much I've struggled to bring you here to this country <laughs> where the competition is less. Uh. You think it's this easy in China? I don't think so. 
I give you more of a chance. I sacrifice my life and you're being ungrateful, throwing it away to play video games. Do you know how many people in China would kill to come to the US or Canada to study? And you're like, wow. I don't know. It seems like you wanted to come here. I wasn't even born. I, I did not make this decision, lady. <laughs> what are you saying? And the standards are wild. A is bad. B is bad. Like you got to get near 95 and above. Like you can't get a mid to low A. So even if the child gets good grades, their sense of belonging, their self-esteem, their familial love and acceptance, even purpose is just not there. Tiger parents will argue to their death, though. They'll say, no, that's not how it works. I'm teaching my kid self-control, self-regulation, self-discipline. And sure, they hate me now. But when they're older oh and they God, see oh how God. much they've accomplished, they will thank me. Later. They're looking out for their current selves, their teenage selves that want to play video games. I'm looking bigger. I'm looking at their future. And it's not just about the status and the prestige that comes with a higher education. It's, it's also about work ethic. So in China, work ethic and pursuit of knowledge is deemed of high value. Like being someone who has a good work ethic is something that everybody looks for in a partner, in, in an employee, in a friend. I feel like it's not as emphasized in the Western culture. You know, everyone's looking for work-life balance. But in China, it's like work ethic. What's your work ethic? Is that really what's happening here? These parents are just looking out for your work ethic and your future. Is that the truth? I'm sure that's part of it. I'm sure that these parents do love their kids. But yeah. I think that a lot of tiger parents, I almost feel like there's this need that they want their kids to achieve things that they themselves couldn't do. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they say. Yeah. And this is their chance of vicariously living through their kid. And if that's the case, I think it's pretty harsh to expect your kid to do extraordinary things when you yourself are living an ordinary life? Like, why are you putting this unrealistic pressure on them? And it's bad. Recent studies show that by pushing children too hard and setting unrealistic standards and withholding affection when those standards are not met, it's causing children to seek out psychological help younger and younger. And they express having suicidal ideation starting anywhere between 6 to 15 years old. Wow. A lot of surveys show that children who grew up with tiger parents, as adults, they still struggle with low self-esteem, anxiety, depression, and they find just kind of no hope in the world. They have no direction. They're kind of lost. Tiger parenting is also often blamed for the high rates of suicide in Eastern Asia, and using violence to tiger parent is not uncommon. Amy Chu, the author of Battle Him of the Tiger Mother, she's often credited with coining the term or popularizing the term tiger mom. She said in her memoir, Chinese parents can do things that would seem unimaginable to others, even legally questionable to Westerners. Chinese mothers say to their daughters, hey, fatty, lose some weight. By contrast, Western parents typically tiptoe around the issue, talking in terms of health and never mentioning the word fat. Western parents are concerned about their children's psyches. Chinese parents are not. They assume that children are strong and not fragile, and as a result, they behave very differently. I do think that the, the tradition is being broken, though, just by seeing how, um, not that my parents were ever tiger parents, but just how, seeing how my sister parents, it's like a world of a difference. So, I mean, I get it. You can't deny the success that a lot of people, Asian or not, have gained due in part to, you know, kind of their overbearing parents. I get it. Some, some of them do become successful. But just listen to this girl named Karen who posted on a forum. 
Which, side note, Karen was Chinese, but she was raised in Australia. And she said, I just need some advice. I feel dead inside, and I don't know what to do. I, I guess you could say it all started when I was a kid. I was never allowed to do anything that kids do. I couldn't go out to play with my friends. And through this lack of socialization, I started becoming really shy, even as a kid. I don't know if that was in my personality. I just was shy. I was introverted. And let's just say I wasn't a social butterfly by any means. I was lonely, if I'm being honest. But that was then. And now I'm older. And I'm realizing I'm even lonelier. It's already hard to make friends as an adult. And I just... I want some friends. I finally moved out of my parents' house last year and I feel like I know nothing about the outside world. I feel like I wasn't prepared for this. I don't know how to socialize at work. I don't know how to joke around with colleagues. I don't know how to have a social life. I don't even know how to date. In my head, I feel like I'm five years old, but I'm 25. And yeah, Karen kind of blames her parents for this. She said, Even just last year when I was 24 years old, still living with my parents, I had a 7 p.m. curfew. And if I didn't come home by then, or if I didn't come home early, my parents would just be blowing up my phone nonstop with, who are you with? Come home soon. It's close to 3 p.m. Call me now or I'm calling the police. When it would get closer to her curfew, sometimes her dad would just text her a passive-aggressive text that said, cold rice is ready, meaning that she could have come home sooner to have a hot dinner. It was overbearing to say the least. Her parents would even hold her hand to cross the street when she was 15 years old. And not in a cute way. Not like a, oh, you don't have to hold my hand, but I love you. Like, let's just have some bonding time. But like a snatching your hand because I don't trust you to cross this street right next to me. Karen remembered one incident that just blew her mind. Like this was a core memory for her. She's 21. She had just finished up this three-month-long internship and everybody, all the interns, were going out that night. Listen, it's not going to be a wild party. This is not no Vegas-style party filled with powdery noses and not-safe-for-work festivities. It's like a small get-together after dinner. Well, Karen felt obligated to go. She told her parents, I worked three months. Like, I worked my butt off for this. I want to make some friends. Like, this is part of work is to network and meet people and build connections. I'm going. But the entire time she sat there, her food untouched, she couldn't even have fun or fake a smile at her new potential friends because all she could focus on was the vibration of the phone in her pocket. Over and over, bzz, bzz, it was her mom, her mom, her mom. Both her parents had been bombarding her with text messages the whole time that she was out. Why haven't you returned home? You should come back home now. If you don't come back in time, we'll have to call the police. Finally, Karen couldn't take it anymore. She excused herself, went outside, picked up her mom's phone call. I don't know, this was probably the 79th call that night. What? I told you I'm with the people that interned with me. Her mom is crying. How can I know that you weren't kidnapped? Mom, I texted you back that I was still here. Yes, but the person who sent the message could have been the person that kidnapped you. Oh my God. What? Do you know that there are so many people who have had their children taken hostage? Do you know that? What? Karen said it was the angriest she had heard her mom. It wasn't even tears of desperation and worry that you would expect from a mom of like, oh my God, I was so worried about you, honey. Like next time, please, can you just let me know you're okay? It was anger. Her mom was angry and she acted on it. She called the damn police and the police told her, ma'am, we're not a babysitting service. Your daughter is 21. You yourself admit that you just talked on the phone with her. She's with her internship people. Like, we're not, we're not going to Uber her back home. We're not Uber. 
Karen was writing on the forum not because she wanted to hurt her parents. She didn't even want them to apologize. All she wanted was advice on how to fit in and make friends. How to do all the things that most kids would have learned early on in their lives. You know, we're very much like dogs. You know, when you get a new dog, they always say, you got to socialize the dog. You got to make sure the dog is okay with other dogs and humans. Otherwise, you're going to have a, an awkward dog that can't hang out with humans or other dogs. Humans are like that. We need to socialize. And so she felt like she missed that pivotal point in her childhood. And now, now she feels uncomfortable. There's a whole subreddit dedicated to tiger parents. It's called Asian Parent Stories. No way. Yeah. Well, I should be on there. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the top posts says this. I visited a family friend with my parents, and while we were on the way back, my dad was just ranting. He was ranting to us about how Asian children in our generation aren't risk takers, like his generation. How we're not decisive, we don't know what we want in life. And I literally exploded. Like, why do you think that we're this way? Don't you think maybe if you guys weren't so stingy with the compliments and weren't so overly critical with every single little mistake that we made growing up, that we would be more confident and not deathly afraid of making mistakes? Mistakes. Like, you don't think that? Kids grow up to reflect how they're raised. It's not that all Asian kids in this generation had a secret meeting and were like, oh, guys, let's all be insecure and anxious and be afraid of making life decisions because we're scared of making mistakes. No, our parents literally raised us like this, and then they complain when this happens. They raise their child toxically and then expect them to magically turn out like they were actually raised by mentally healthy and loving parents. You think I'm choosing to act like this? No one would choose to be like this. And so many people related. So there is a lot of anger, and there is a lot to be discussed, but do I think that this should sway anybody's opinion on the case and Tom? No, but this is context. So back to Tom's story as a tiger baby. Tom's friend said that it was just a recipe for disaster. You know, they would see Tom get to school early and he just had so much, I don't know if it was pent up anger, pent up energy, anxiety, the feeling of powerlessness, but he had it all inside of him and they would just see Tom doing circles outside the school. Nobody told him to. He would just run, 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 run. The only thing that kind of eased his pain was a girl named Yazzie. Let's call her Yazzie. Yazzie was, she was kind of perfect. You know, she encouraged him to study, but not in the way that his own mom did. She was very soft and kind, like, okay, you're, we're going to study for the exam together, and then we're going to go eat this street food, and then we're going to get into the same university, and we're going to study, work, and eventually we'll get married. It'll be perfect. I mean, this is going to be like their little daydream. Is it going to happen? Probably not. I mean, it's a high school love, but it's exhilarating. It's exciting. It builds character, and on top of that, the two of them would go on study dates. There is no part of it where I could look at it and be like, oh, that's a bad influence on both of them. Well, Tom's mom did not think so. When she found out, Tom's mom took great offense. Not just that her son was dating, but because he was making her look bad on top of all of that. In China, dating in middle school and high school is strictly forbidden. So Tom gets some harsh words pointed at him. He said that Leanne even yelled at him and said, not only are you sneaking behind my back, making me look bad to date somebody, but you found a poor girl to date. The rest of high school for Tom went by at snail speed. All he did was study, starve when he didn't get good grades, rinse and repeat. And even after graduating high school, his parents felt like he was too girl crazy. So they sent him abroad to Canada to get a college degree and to start an international business over there. 
What's interesting is that they wanted him to be a business owner, which don't get me wrong, smarts are needed, skills are needed, but to be a business owner, I would say that interpersonal skills might be the most important in most fields, and they never raised Tom to have interpersonal skills. He didn't even have basic self-care skills. He didn't know how to do his laundry or to make friends. I mean, he was like Karen. He was a five-year-old in an 18-year-old's body. And I'm not saying that to excuse what he did because no five-year-old commits crimes the way that Tom is going to commit crimes. I'm just giving you some context. Tom said that his college experience was less than stellar. It was not like the Western movies where everybody goes to frat parties and has a blast. Tom felt incredibly isolated. He didn't know English. Everybody made fun of him. He didn't know how to make friends. So not only did he not know the language, but he was awkward. He was uncomfortable. People just kind of stayed away. It was miserable. One day, Tom said he reached out to his parents in tears. I miss home. I hate it here. I feel so utterly lonely. You don't understand. He just wanted some words of encouragement, some words of understanding. Sure, he wanted them to fly back to China immediately where he was more comfortable, but any sort of comfort would have been okay. But he wasn't getting that. His parents actually accused him of being ungrateful for their hard work. You think anybody can go to college abroad? Tom stayed in Canada, and in 2012, he told his parents, I finally graduated. Oh my God, it's been like the roughest years of my life. I found a good paying job and it's for this really big, respectable company. And I'm just, can I please have a life now? (laughs) I just want a girlfriend and share memories with. Tom's parents were really happy about everything, but the last part, they still were not ready for him to date. This part is a little bit interesting and I don't know if it's true. I don't know if Tom is saying this. I don't know if this is how the parents really operated. But I imagine from what I can tell, most Chinese parents... After college, they're like ready for you to get married. Yeah, they're ready for the grandchild. Yeah, they're like, you don't even need to get married. Let's just pop it out back to back. Come on. But Tom's parents, they said, no, focus on climbing the work ladder first. You're so close to the finish line. Don't get greedy now. You have to make sure that you focus more than ever. Make a good impression at work. And they nagged. But they were really, really proud. For the first time in Tom's life, he could feel it. They even wanted to fly from China to celebrate with him. They were going to stay for two weeks and Tom could show them all the best spots in Vancouver. They were finally going to bond, not as parent and toddler, but hopefully as parent and adult. But the entire trip, Tom was on edge. He said that his mom had a way of saying certain words that would just, that would just cut so deep. He felt them and they stung in a way that he, it was like pouring alcohol into a deep wound. Anytime that they went to a nice tourist spot or they had a nice, delicious meal, Tom's mom would lean over and say, see, if it weren't for my strict parenting and my tough love, how could you have achieved all the things that you achieved? And how could you live this wonderful life that you have today? I think she meant it in a good way. I'm going to be honest. Like, I don't see her doing this to be vindictive or like, oh, this is all my success. I genuinely think that maybe they had crossed the finish line. And maybe she herself wanted some sort of acknowledgement of like, thanks, mom, for raising me, you know? Thanks, mom, for guiding me, even when, you know, it was tough and I acted out a lot, but you were always there. Or maybe just say, you know what, mom? You're right. I'm happy that this happened. But that's not how Tom felt. Tom would bite his tongue because obviously he didn't agree. He was pretty upset that his mom kept saying that, if he's being honest. But there they would be, sitting in the restaurant, talking about how well Tom's life is going. Oh, just graduated, got a good job. He's on track to get permanent resident status, a Canadian green card, if you will. Then he can travel more. He can start a business in Canada, take the family business from China, and expand it if he wants. And Tom would half smile 
and hurriedly changed the subject. What do you guys want to order? I heard the um, the, I heard the tuna salad is really good here. Why didn't you want to talk about it? Did he just not like his mom constantly taking the credit for all his hard work? Or was it because his whole life was fake? Was it because everything his parents believed was fake? The wait is over. That is right. Season 5 of The Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. I love meal deliveries. In fact, I love everything about having my meals delivered straight to my doorstep, except the delivery fees. That's why I signed up for the Dash Pass, an exclusive membership from DoorDash that lets you make an unlimited amount of fee-free orders for eligible orders. Whether it's food from your favorite restaurants, groceries from across town, or anything in between, the Dash Pass can get you $0 deliveries and lower service fees on eligible orders. That means you can easily save money at your favorite restaurants and grocery stores the dash pass practically pays for itself in two orders on average the math is mathing plus dash pass gives you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items and all of this for only $9.99 a month open the door to zero dollar delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else sign up for dash pass today only on doordash and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member subject to change terms apply In fact, after graduating high school, Tom came to Vancouver with a student visa. The university that he had gotten into, well, he just stopped studying. The guy just stopped. He he was dropped from the school, and not only that, he lost his student visa. So for a while, he's roaming around looking for alternatives till he finally settles on studying hotel management at a community college. And when he graduates, I don't know if it's the language skills or just his resume in general or the job market, really, he can't find a job. But he didn't want to hear his parents yell at him. Can you imagine all the nagging? Oh, da 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 this, or you should have done this. So he lied. He said he graduated from the original university, the reputable university, and he found an amazing high-paying job, and he was on track to get permanent resident status. When in reality, he's unemployed, he can't get a student visa or a work visa, he's just renewing a visitor's visa, working at Chinese restaurants under the table to get cash, Because you can't be paid when you're on a visitor's visa. You can't get a job. So what? You're thinking the same thing I'm thinking, which is how does he even support himself? Well, his parents were giving him money, but not in the rich way that you expect. Like, Because I know there's a lot of stories of those international students where the parents are like, how's the U.S.? Here's a million dollars. Have fun. I don't know the cost of eggs over there. It must be a bajillion dollars. But it was not like that at all. Tom would convince his parents guys, I need a car to get this job, to get this interview. I need a house. You know, I need to live there and I can rent out a room. It's technically an investment property. Oh, can you invest in this and that and this? And his parents trusted him with their money, but it all came with the price. Listen, this was like the most intense thing I learned is that you're going to have a way better relationship with your parents when you don't depend on them for anything, including finances. Like, let me tell you, the relationship between me and my parents vastly changed. But Tom... Because he was getting money from his parents, he would have to call his parents every three days. And the phone call could be no less than 20 minutes each time. And if he did not seem enthusiastic, if he did not seem interested in his parents' lives, they would just cut him off completely. They would not give him money. And he would be left with no money to maintain his basic necessities. But you know the deal. 
There's no investments. There's no house. There's no car. Tom blew all of that money renting an apartment with his Vancouver girlfriend and spending time with her. So July 29th, 2012, more than a month and a half later, a suitcase washes ashore off Harwood Island, about 100 miles from where Leanne vanished. The suitcase itself was rather large. It's like 30 inches tall, uh, 20 inches wide. It was unzipped. Now, I couldn't find any reports that somebody got there first. I'm assuming that the police got there. Or maybe somebody saw it from afar and called the police. The, the police get there. Material is hanging out of the suitcase. That is how they describe it. Foreign substances, foreign material. It looked white and stringy. The police braced for impact. They poked open the lid. And I think that they all knew what, the, what they were going to find. But it never makes it easier. Inside the suitcase was a human torso. And that's all the verification they needed. They rushed the remains to Vancouver General Hospital. The forensic pathologist remembered a ton of maggots moving around. Mm. And it wasn't even until the remains were moved out of the suitcase that they found a head inside. At first, the police thought it was a decapitated torso. But the head was so curled up in a fetal position, so close to the chest. And with that decomposition, the police didn't even recognize it. Not like they didn't recognize who it was, but they didn't even recognize that it was a head. The corpse was wearing the same clothes that Leanne was last seen in. She was wearing a bracelet and a watch, and they found those on the corpse as well. That's, I mean, this was exactly the same as how Leanne's family described her. And her nail polish was even similar to the missing Leanne poster. On top of that, Leanne had spinal surgery in China a few years ago, and they found five surgical nails with Chinese characters stamped onto them during the autopsy. They did have to get DNA to prove it was Leanne, but it was pretty shut and done. That Leanne was no longer missing. She had officially been murdered. And her cause of death, her skull had been smashed with several large holes. But the police were stuck. I mean, they needed more evidence. They didn't have anything to get Tom. They all thought it was Tom. They knew he was a killer. They knew that he murdered his mom. But then there's knowing something, and then there's convincing a jury of it. So they thought, okay, fine. You know, Tom doesn't want to talk to us. Fine. We can make him think that he's not talking to us. The police had hidden the discovery of Leanne's body from the news, and now it was time to catch their killer. They recruited a female police officer who spoke Cantonese, had her call Tom, saying that she had a clue for him, which this is the Starbucks meeting. So oh, Tom shows Yes. Tom shows up nervous and he asked her, you know, okay, okay, can you meet at Starbucks to talk? When they get inside, the undercover officer sits down. Tom, can I call you Tom? I was fishing with a friend recently and well, she found a suitcase. I was too scared to look inside, but she wasn't. She looked inside. She wanted to open it. I didn't stick around for it. The smell already told me everything I needed to know. We've seen you around, leaving posters everywhere, looking for your mom. I mean, let's be real. My friend and I put two and two together. It wasn't that hard. Gathering from your situation and ours... We're assuming that whoever is in that suitcase is your mom. The body was wearing the same blue top as the flyer. She watched Tom's face for any emotional change at all. Now, here's what's interesting. You would think it's kind of a weird thing for the police to tell Tom, but they were trying to see if you were innocent, what would you do in this situation? I would immediately call the police. I'd be like, they found my mom. Mm -hmm. I would want to know more about this. But Tom stayed silent and the woman pressed on. Don't worry. I haven't called the police yet. If you're willing to pay us, we can actually help you get rid of the suitcase. We can help you get rid of it all. Your mom, the suitcase, and it'll be all easy. Done. No one will know. 
The female police officer grabbed the coffee on the table and took a small sip. Tom sat there in silence for a second before getting up and walking out. This is not what the police were expecting. The officer rushed out, caught up with him in the parking lot. Okay, fine. I'll be honest with you, Tom. We're part of the triad. We know what this means. The body in the suitcase, we know that your mom was murdered. Just let us help you. And if you really don't need help, if you really didn't do anything and you were innocent, you should have just called the police at Starbucks. But you didn't. Here, just take my number, Tom. There's not much time. If you can't come up with some money, the triad will be forced to go to the police with the body. That's how business works around here. And with that, the police had set their trap. And they just waited. Would they catch a snake or would they not? They didn't have to wait long. Tom called the exact next day. He was open. He straight up said, I don't have the money, but I know how to get it. If you help me, just call my dad and say that my mom has been kidnapped by the triad and you will only let her go if he pays up. I know it. He's going to pay the ransom. I know he will. And you'll get your money. Tom, this is a lot to talk about over the phone right now. Do you want to come meet me soon? You can also meet my boss. That day, Tom went to go meet with this mysterious woman and her so-called boss, another higher up in the triad, a.k.a. just another Asian undercover officer who spoke Cantonese. (laughs) The boss told him, I can help you destroy the body, but first tell me what happened. I need to know. So we don't look like the ones that killed your mom. We need to know everything or else we're not helping you. We also need to know your reasoning. We are the triad, but we have morals around here. At first, Tom seemed a bit skeptical, like he didn't want to share that kind of information. I mean, who would? But then the big boss told Tom everything that they knew about the suitcase, the size of the suitcase, the color, everything. And suddenly Tom's reservations, they just melted away. This guy starts opening up. He's an open book now. It took a couple of different in-person sessions, but the undercover officers met up with Tom multiple times and they pried the whole story out of him. Tom said that, His mom died the day before she, quote, disappeared. The night before. Tom was staying in the hotel room next to his parents, and after his dad had fallen asleep, he asked his mom to come to his room to help him with something. His bed was a mess. He had dropped a ton of loose change all over the bed, and he said, can you help me, mom? And she bent over, and she sighed and said, you know, you're a grown man, but you still need your little mommy, don't you? And while she was bent over, I hit her on the back of the head multiple times. And when she fell to the ground, I put a pillow over her head and I suffocated her. And the whole process probably took about 20 minutes. I triple checked her purse to make sure that she really was dead. And then I removed the pillow from her face. And I was surprised that she not once screamed the whole time. I know I had to get rid of her body. So I packed her into an empty suitcase and then brought her body back to my apartment. Yeah, the apartment where I live with my girlfriend. She didn't suspect anything. I just hid the suitcase. So the next morning, I go back to the hotel, pick up my parents, and I knock on the door. Dad, why are you still asleep? Have you seen mom? I just saw her. I was helping remove some bags out of the room. Where'd she go? And the two of them start searching for Tom's mom. No luck. Tom convinced his dad to head to China first, and he would hold it down in Canada. So his dad, trusting him and trusting that his wife would turn up, he boarded that flight. And now Tom... He felt like he had some free time. He was in no rush. He said all he had to do was take the suitcase from his apartment, the one with his mom's body, and dump it off a bridge about 100 miles away. Go back to the hotel, clean up the blood, cut up the pillow that he suffocated her with, burn it, throw the murder weapon into the river, and done, just like that. Oh, and flip over the mattress, of course. And then put on the best act of his life to the police. 
which were listening intently to Tom's story right now. The two police officers are staring at him and they they were trying so hard to hide the shock on their faces. Like this is not the KGB. They were not trained for this. They're like, okay, this guy's just straight up confessing right now. But at the same time, they were trying to understand the emotion that Tom was showing. At times it seemed like relief, relief that he killed his mom or relief that he was finally telling somebody about it. They didn't know. But before they made up their own judgment on Tom, Tom stood there and said, wait, after this is over, do you guys know if someone could help me kill my dad? Oh, my God. Because after my dad dies, all of his money will be mine. And you name your price on what it takes to get a hitman, and I can definitely afford it. They were speechless. I'm sorry. But, but they couldn't blow their cover. Uh, Sure, Tom. Um, I know a guy that has cancer. Maybe he can take the fall. You know, in fact... Maybe he can take the fall for killing your mom and your dad because, you know, it'd be suspicious if your mom goes missing and then your dad, dad turns up dead and he, his family needs the money. He's going to die anyway in prison. Oh, man, shoot. Only problem is the guy's going through chemo. He's kind of losing his mind, you know. We've done this before. We're the triad. We obviously know stuff like this. But um, see, the thing is, People know when you're lying. Like, the police know when you're lying. When you go in there and you say, oh, I hit her on the head with a hammer, they know because they ask you questions. Which hand? How? At what angle did you hit? How did the head fly? Blah, 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 right? I think the only way that this works is if you show us what you did and we record it and give it to that guy so he can study your movements. You know, was your left foot in front of your right foot? That's how you really sell a crime. That's how we do it at the triad. We don't do that baby stuff, you know, where you just go in and, oh, I did it. They're not going to believe him. So just do you mind showing us how you killed your mom? And with that, naive little Tom role-played how he killed his own mom, how he hit her on the back of her head, smothered her with a pillow, and then stuffed her into a suitcase. All the while, the two undercover officers recorded the whole thing. Unbelievable. I mean, it was over for Tom. He was promptly arrested. And guess who comes running to this guy's defense? See, this is what I always find fascinating. Everybody has a different view on what's right. I know some people who would choose their kids over everything and everyone, like my sister. But then you have some people that would choose their partners over their kids. And you can't really necessarily say one or the other is right or wrong. It just depends on the person. And I've only dealt with this idea in a hypothetical sense, but I imagine I would choose the non-offending party. So let's say I have a kid and you ask me to choose between my partner and my child. I would be conflicted. Most moms out there are like, just you wait till you have a kid. You're going to choose your kid in a heartbeat. But you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a moment of conflict. But if my kid did something to my partner that was evil or vice versa, I feel like the choice has been made. But I guess Tom's dad didn't see it that way because he's stuck by his own son. Even when he found out that his son had just tried to hire the triad to kill him, he's still stuck by his son. His father later said, my wife, she, you know, she had the, the strong desire to want to control everything, not just with Tom, but with me as well. She would control who I hung out with, who I went to dinner with, what I ate, and at times, she would even control how much cash was in my pocket. It was a lot. So the dad argued that Tom was just desperate. He probably wasn't even in the right state of mind. The doctors, they looked into it. They worked on Tom, and they concluded, no. This guy was not having a psychotic break. He did not have any mental reasoning of why he would not be in the right state of mind at the time of the killing. He was completely there, completely aware. He was there. 
the prosecutors further prove this by planting a police officer in prison to get an update on Tom's mental state. And Tom straight up told him, I only wanted to kill my parents so that I could be free. I don't really have regrets if I'm being honest. I felt like my parents had always been too controlling and they were going to continue to control the rest of my life unless I did something about it. This was the only way that I could have felt free. I wanted to kill them for a really long time. And I mean, my dreams were only half accomplished. The officer egged him on. I mean, I just can't believe you did it while they were on vacation here. Yeah, but there's no death penalty in Canada. There is in China. And that's why it had to be done here. And I think that the police in Canada are dumber, if you will, than China. They're a lot <laughs> no less. No way. Yeah, they're a lot less effective. I didn't think that they would solve it. Can you imagine the undercover officer hearing that? Like, bro, he just called you dumb. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> so anyway, all of this would be further used against Tom and to prove that, yes, he was in his right state of mind. He had planned it. So the trial starts. And remember in the beginning how Tom was tried for the attempted murder of his father? The prosecutors dropped the charges because Tom's dad was just so uncooperative. The jury was so confused. It was going to cost the state a ton of money. They hoped that the murder charge for his mom was going to be enough to convince the jury that this man needs to be locked up for a long time. There was a lot of physical evidence that came out during the trial. There was the blood of Leanne everywhere in the hotel room. The mattress had been turned over with large blood stains. Leanne's blood was all over his rental car. And the backpack that he used to carry the murder weapon, yeah, that too had Leanne's blood. There was surveillance video of the apartment where he brought his mom in that suitcase. There's video footage of him talking to the undercover agents recreating the murder scene. All of that was shown to the jury. All of those vile things that he said and did and the way that he felt. If anybody had a doubt, if anybody thought for a second, oh, this is really bad parenting. Like he was just so suffocated. This kid was pushed to his limit with abuse. That video clip would change your mind. Because Tom talked about how he blew every penny that his parents gave him on his Vancouver girlfriend and gambling. Honestly, he just wanted his dad to die too so that he could take over the business. He didn't even want the business. He just wanted the money. And with that money, he was going to marry his girlfriend. Not his Vancouver girlfriend, though. His China girlfriend. He has two girlfriends? Yeah, he had an ex-girlfriend in China that he wanted to marry. His Vancouver girlfriend, I don't know, I guess it was just for funsies. What? Like, this guy is not a good person. What? Tom said, and this is wild, he said that he made up his mind to kill his mom when his ex-girlfriend from China reached out and said, well, okay, side note, Tom had been seeing his ex-girlfriend in China secretly for the past six years every time that he went back to China. One time, he pretended to come back to Canada. His parents dropped him off at the airport in China, but instead of boarding a flight, the guy waited till they drove off, and his ex-girlfriend came and picked him up, and he spent an entire month in China with her, lying to his parents that he was back in Canada. He said, I loved her, but one day she told me that she had fallen pregnant with my child. But because she had no money, she knew that she could not raise a child. She terminated the pregnancy. Tom said that this made the resentment towards his parents even greater, which I don't know how he's arguing that because their money is not your money. Like you're not entitled to it. So the guy's not making his own money. I don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. But he was mad. And at the end, Tom was not a sheltered child that had been emotionally abused to the point of snapping. He was a spoiled kid. He didn't want to answer to his parents. He wanted the money when he wanted it, and he wanted to do whatever he wanted with that money. He wanted to gamble. He wanted to hang out with girls all day. That's what he wanted. And then Tom's dad even testified in defense of Tom. He tried to tell the jurors that Tom was really in a hard place. Tom said that studying in Canada was life worse than death or prison. 
which is great because you're going to prison, buddy. So this should be better. Side note, anytime the prosecutors brought up evidence of Tom wanting to kill his own father too, which there's a lot of evidence, like video recordings, audio recordings, anytime that was brought up, Tom's dad just left the room. He didn't want to hear it, but he still wanted to support his son. And maybe it's because, again, I'm not a parent yet, but that boggles my mind quite a bit. Tom's dad said, I already lost my wife. I can't lose my son too. I believe that his mother is in heaven and can see and understand what I'm trying to do. My wife and I, Um, we've always believed that only strict restrictions and discipline can save our son. It's the only way to give him a future. But the lack of communication and disregard for our son's preferences, treating him as a personal asset of ours was, I don't know. You know, I, I went to go visit my son a few times in prison eventually and I forgave him. I, I felt a deep sense of guilt for sending him to Canada to study alone. The jury was so confused. I mean, typically you have families that are rooting for justice. And even though you're putting someone away in prison for a potentially a long time, maybe you know that this is the right thing to do. Maybe you look at the family and you see the burden being lifted off of their shoulders. And that's what you focus on as a juror, right? But this... This was, if they don't put Tom away for a long time, Leanne doesn't get justice. If they put Tom away for a long time, Tom's dad, who is also a victim in all of this, is further traumatized and is in pain. I mean, what do we do? It was a really complex case. But in the end, the jury returned a verdict of guilty of second-degree murder. Tom was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole in 17 years. If Tom gets out, he will most likely be deported back to China because he is still a Chinese citizen. Tom's dad cried at the sentencing and said, Son, no matter how big a mistake you make, I will forgive you. Your mother is already dead, and if you die, there is no point for me to live. No matter how long you are in prison, I will wait for your release. What? Which, maybe it's the cultural aspect of putting family before all else to the point where, in situations where maybe you shouldn't, But I think it just makes the whole case more heartbreaking because this to me sounds like a man who is so traumatized, who is so broken, and this is the only way that he sees it'll be okay. I don't know. It's just so complicated. Family relations, human emotions, human connections, they're so hard to control and it's so, so messy. What are your thoughts on this case? Let me know. And let me know if anything got lost in translation. I hope you guys enjoyed, and I will see you guys on Sunday for the mini-sode. Bye!